0: Good morning. Well, from where I sit, I was right on time because as soon as I got here, you guys finished singing. <laughs> you, 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 you laugh with me, uh, not at me. Before we get into the message, there's a couple of announcements that I'd like to uh, just remind you of. Um, have you talked about some of the announcements in the bulletin? Okay. Um, A week from Sunday, we will have our fall festival. And if you've got a bulletin, you should have one of these sheets. It's English on one side, Spanish on the other. Uh, It's going to begin at 5 o'clock with a gourmet meal, Um, hot dogs. But the hot dogs are an excuse to get together and uh, an excuse to have something in our hand while we talk with our friends, our visitors. But please, uh, if if you haven't done so already, invite one of your friends and neighbors to participate in this. Uh, It'll be a great family time next Sunday at 5 o'clock here at sunset. And then the following weekend, there are a couple things happening that we want to bring to your attention. On Saturday, November 3rd, there is a meeting, a breakfast meeting, for all individuals who are involved in ministries of whatever kind. So that will be from 8.30 to 10.30. Breakfast will be served at 8.30, so we invite you to put that on your calendar. And then on November 4th, a week from uh, Sunday, uh, we will be having a special contribution for individuals that have been affected by Hurricane Michael up in the panhandle. Uh, we want to um, – uh, this will be really our Blessed to be a Blessing donation for this year. Uh, that will be 11, uh, uh, November 4th. Um, we will then be making a trip up to uh, the Panhandle the following weekend, which is Veterans Day. So we'll be leaving on Friday, November 9th, driving up and then spending a couple days working. I, I say we. I'm not sure exactly who all is going, but uh, a group from Sunset and then returning on Monday, November 12th, which is the holiday for Veterans Day. And so you, the kids will not have school, and some of you won't have work. So please make plans to, uh, to, uh, to participate one way or another in, 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 in that trip. That will be an important element. Um, and this morning, we also want to pray for a number of our family members who are down in Marathon who are helping that congregation, uh, Randy, Thomas, Alfonso Thomas, the Low Rances, Norberto and his boys, Uh, They're all there, and so uh, they're supporting that congregation as part of an outreach to Sunset, and and that's a really good thing. Next Sunday, I'm going to be in Pompano and Coral Springs uh, helping those churches. And so one of the things that I was talking with one of the elders this week that Sunset has always done was be involved in churches in the area. It's not just about building up this congregation. It's about building up the other congregations in the area and doing what we can. And so this is one way that we can help uh, join with them and participate with them in the ministry um, that they're doing. Did you see the news that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are pregnant? So that's kind of big, big news, right? Uh, it's interesting how fascinated we are with what happens over there in, in England. Um, but that's, that's the latest rage, and evidently she comes from a, a couple different lines of twins. And so there's speculation, and they're wondering, and this and the other. Um, do, do you remember when they got married? They said that 50 million people in the United States watched that wedding. I I didn't, um, kind of just on purpose, just because us curmudgeons don't get into that kind of thing. Uh, But um, 50 million people watched that wedding on TV. Uh, What what they say is that uh, her wedding dress, the designer, and I don't know who it was, but I'm I'm sure it was somebody important, uh, worked five months on her dress. The veil itself took 500 hours to make, and it was evidently so intricate and detailed and, and it was of such a kind of fabric that the workers had to stop every 30 minutes and wash their hands in order to keep the fabric clean from the oil from their fingers and whatever dirt that they might have picked up from the, the, the factory there. On the day of the wedding, Miss um, Markle took three and a half hours to get ready. Now, that probably sounds just like all of our weddings, right? Uh, <laughs> Or close, maybe. I have known some that have taken three hours and a half to get ready, but uh, other reasons, I'm sure. But but if you just think about it, I mean, what's what's the fuss? It's just one day, right? Well, it is one day, but what's more important is who it is. And, And there's a sense where, especially if you're coming from a royal family, there's an expectation that we want things to look perfect. Because how things look is really important for some people. In fact, if we're going to be honest, it's important to all of us. I've had this idea I've mentioned before of having a no-fix-your-hair Sunday where you just come the way that you wake up with only two qualifications. You brush your teeth and you put on deodorant. Chris will have it easy. Some of us, not so much. Some of you, some of you guys, I, from what I've understood, not because I've been present, but some of you guys wake up really pretty. Other of us don't. We look like we've been asleep all night, and our hair has been too, having a little party up there. But it's important. We've spent, I don't know how much time this morning getting ready. Be, because if you're an important person, or if you're going to be in front of people, you want to look nice appearances are important and that's why this text for today is so so disturbing because if you want to think about all the most important people in the world Jesus has to be right up there at the top of the list and it just didn't seem like Jesus cared much about those kinds of things in fact just the opposite As we continue our pilgrimage through the Bible, looking at 16 key texts, the text we come to today is Isaiah chapter 53. You can be looking in your Bibles, pulling it up on your phone. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Isaiah. Some people call it the, 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 the gospel of the Old Testament because there are so many mentions and prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah. Even if you're not very familiar with the entire book of Isaiah, the book of prophecy, you're probably familiar with this text. It's read very frequently at the the, the Lord's Supper devotional. There's not a doubt that the New Testament writers believed this passage, Isaiah 53, was referring to Jesus. The New Testament makes at least 85 references, either directly or indirectly, in some fashion to this text. 85 times. 700 years before Jesus came, as Isaiah was writing his prophecy about a future time, he writes this description of the Messiah. Now, to get to the text, you've got to back up a couple verses in chapter 52. And look at how this verse starts. The Lord says, look, my servant will succeed in whatever he has to do, and he will be raised to a position... Of high honor see that's the kind of thing we expect from a messiah right someone who's going to do his job who's going to look the part and he's going to receive the honor that he deserves the, the the text calls him my servant this is the fourth of the fourth and final of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah Four different songs dedicated to this servant of the Lord. And the three up to this point and this first part of uh, uh, the fourth all point to a servant who is like the son of David. Powerful, royal, has the ability to overcome and to conquer exactly what the Israelite people and even us would look for in a Messiah. Someone that garners respect. Someone that demands respect. Someone who wields the scepter in his hand and speaks and acts and looks like authority. But if you know anything about Isaiah 53, you know that that's not what the text is going to say, right? We're going to read it in just a second. But the ancient rabbis, when they were studying these texts and they they came across this text... So you know what they did? They came up with a theory that there were two messiahs. You had the Messiah, son of David, and he was the strong, conquering. He's going to just, uh, uh, he's going to take over and be the Messiah. And then you have texts like this that point to a Messiah, maybe like the son of Joseph, who got sold into prison, who lived in prison, and finally overcame. His suffering. Because they were trying to make some sense of this idea that we have a Messiah who appears to be weak, who appears to be not invincible but defeatable. We have a Messiah who doesn't stand up for himself we have a Messiah who gets conquered. Now, it's true that many were shocked when they saw him. He was beaten so badly that he no longer looked like a man. I don't know if you've seen any images that try to be accurate, but there are texts that describe... The enemies of Jesus during his trial and leading up to his crucifixion where they grabbed his beard. And that wasn't just a little stroke, but it's possible that his face was completely disfigured. That's what Isaiah said 700 years ago. This is what their Messiah would look like. And he's going to startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. How in the world could this individual be king? They will understand what they haven't heard about. Because who can really believe what we have heard? Who can see into God's great power or see God's great power at work in something like this? He was always close to the Lord. He grew up like a young plant, like a root growing in dry ground. There was nothing special or impressive about the way he looked, nothing we could see that would cause us to like him. People made fun of him, and even his friends left him. He was a man who suffered a lot of pain and suffering. We treated him like someone of no importance, even someone people would not even look at, but turn away from in disgust. The fact is, it was our suffering he took upon himself. He bore our pain. But we thought it was God punishing him. That God was beating him for something he did. But he was being punished for what we did. He was crushed because of our guilt. He took the punishment we deserved and this brought us peace. We are healed because of his pain. We had all wandered away like sheep. We had gone our own way, and yet the Lord put all our guilt on him. He was treated badly, but he never protested. He never said anything like a lamb being led away to be killed. He was like a sheep that makes no sound as its wool is being cut off. He never opened his mouth to defend himself. He was taken away by force and judged unfairly. The people of his time didn't even notice that he was killed He he was put to death for the sins of, of his people. He had done no wrong to anyone, but he had never even told a lie, but he was buried among the wicked. His tomb was with the rich, which was an insult in those days. The Lord was pleased with this humble servant who suffered such pain. Even after giving himself as an offering for sin, he will see his descendants enjoy a long life. He will succeed in doing what the Lord wanted. After his suffering, he will see the light. He will be satisfied with what he experienced. The Lord says, My servant who always does what is right will make his people right with me. He will take away their sins. And for this reason, I will treat him as one of my great people. I will give him the rewards of one who wins in battle, and he will share with them his powerful ones. I I will do this because he gave his life for the people. He was considered a criminal, but the truth is... He carried away the sins of many. Now he will stand before me and speak for those who have sinned. Isaiah 53. You know, it's pretty striking to think that God had a choice of what his life would look like. Anytime you and I enter into suffering, it's generally because we don't have a choice or it's a consequence of something that we've done, either some other factor or us. But very rarely will we, or humans in general, choose this route of suffering, of rejection, of shame. The, the way Isaiah describes Jesus, the Messiah, is the exact opposite of what we expect he describes him as a as a young plant. This word is the same word that 's used of a of a tiny baby that 's still nursing and totally dependent on his mom or it 's the image the opposite of strength and vitality he 's not planted in a moist uh, 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 greenhouse or or in moist soil like Out in California, where you can grow a redwood so large you could drive a tree through it. This is just a scrawny little sprout in dried land that doesn't look like it's even going to survive. Jesus was not what the people expected. There was nothing impressive or special about the way he looked. Nothing that would make us cause to like him. In in the book... um, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey, uh, tells of a document that was found in 1514. It was supposedly written by uh, someone related to Pontius Pilate, the one who condemned Jesus to death. No one really believes that's the case. But what the document does do is it illustrates what people expected out of their Messiah. And this is how Jesus is described. He is a tall man, well-shaped, and of an amiable and reverend aspect. His hair is of a color that can hardly be matched, falling into graceful curls, parted on the crown of his head, running as a stream to the front after the fashion of the Nazarites. His forehead large, imposing and high, his cheeks without spot or wrinkle, beautiful with a lovely red His nose and mouth formed with exquisite symmetry. His beard and of a color suitable to his hair reaching below his chin and parted in the middle like a fork. His eyes bright blue, clean and serene. See, people feel like in order for Jesus to be the Messiah, he's got to look the part. He's got to look like the Messiah, at least our perception of it. And in truth, what Isaiah tells us is, no, that's not really what Jesus is, that's not what was important to him. So Jesus had a choice, God had a choice, and this is what he chose, the Isaiah 53 Messiah. Why would he do that? (laughs) Why would he do that? Back in the 50s, there was a journalist, a white journalist and author, uh, John Howard Griffin, who believed that he could never understand what African Americans living in the 50s, 1950s in this country, was, ex- was experiencing unless he became like them. And so he went to his dermatologist and began taking pills that darkened his skin uh, he sat under lamp uh, sun lamps, and he used stain. The one tell that he couldn 't overcome was his hair, so he shaved his head <laughs> and then he went through the, the states of Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia as a black man in the 1950s. And then he writes about it in his book, Black Like Me. It was later made into a movie. I think the 50th anniversary was celebrated not too long ago. And it was an attempt to try and help whites understand the humiliation, the discrimination, and the prejudice that's faced daily, even to this day, by people of color. And the only way to make that point is to be like One of them. And I think that gets at some of what was behind God's decision. In order to truly understand what our life looks like, Jesus became like one of us. Jesus chose to live in a confined experience of a body. He chose to live with the prejudices and the social limitations of a first-century Jewish male. He chose to be born questionable heritage. He wanted to be like us. And he was despised and rejected like many of us. Have felt. He also, I think, does it because he understands what we're like. This verse in verse 6 states that we are just like sheep who have wandered away. We've put our head down and we're just not paying any attention, and the next thing you know, you're off in some place doing something you really shouldn't be doing. Sometimes we're tricked. Sometimes we make the decision by ourselves. But Isaiah tells us the truth about who Jesus is, and he tells us the truth about who we are. And if we're just going to be brutally honest this morning, I think every single one of us have something that's pretty ugly in our life, where we've wandered off track, and no amount of money or makeup or educational degrees or zip code or type of car you drive, none of that can make up for that ugly part in our heart. We try to look nice, but some of us fail or succeed more than others. And you know, that's its kind of what makes church... If you'll pardon the expression, it kind of makes church fun. Because I I don't expect that I'm gathering with a bunch of perfect people. Last thing in my mind. And I hope it's the last thing in your mind when you come and listen to a preacher. Because every single one of us are like sheep that's lost our way. And we try hard and we think maybe our grades are going to cover it up or how much money we make or how much success we have at work or how much community service we do or if we're a member of this club or that club or this other. If we think about what Scripture says, church is basically a bunch of sheep that are just lost. We're all trying to follow the shepherd. We come every Sunday to get reminded of where that path is. We come every Sunday to get reminded about what's important. We come every Sunday to be led by not this powerful hulk of a man. We come to be led by the suffering servant, the Messiah. You know, I don't know. If Dwayne Johnson or Arnold Schwarzenegger would be my neighbor, just over here in the hammocks, not that I would move out there or anything to where they live. No, that wouldn't happen. (laughs) But let's say they just moved into the house next door. You know, I don't know how comfortable I'd feel going and say, Hey, Dwayne, what's up, Rock? (laughs) I mean, Kevin Hart seems to do it pretty easily on TV, but... uh, I don't know that I would open up about my struggles. I've got this little problem with my leg. He said, what? (laughs) Push it out. (laughs) Get over it. I don't know what he would say. See, I just can't feel like I would relate to someone like that. But you know, I can relate to someone who struggles, who's been made fun of, who has gone through difficulties. Someone who's real. And I think Jesus came in this fashion to be the perfect Messiah for us because he knows the way. And while he's lived among us and he smells like us and he knows what we're like, he was able to stay true. And as a result, he's able to deal with my weaknesses and sins. There aren't two messiahs. There's one. And the conquering Lord is the suffering servant. And there are times when I'm attracted to that conquering Lord But most of the time, I'm attracted to the suffering servant who I can just pour my heart out to. And so as we think of a response for this text, I think there's two. One, draw closer to God. Draw closer to God. Do it through prayer, through scripture, through meditation, through reflection. Before you say a word, God knows what's in your heart. He knows where you've been. And the fact that you're still alive means that he's not going to kill you. But then the second thing is draw closer to the church. Because as much as we might not like to admit it, none of us are there yet. And I need you and you need me. And together we're one big happy family. Draw close to God and draw close to one another. You might need to do that through baptism. You might need to do that through repentance. You might need to do that through prayer. You might need to do that by giving a hug to someone that's here. You might need to do that by getting involved in some sort of ministry or outreach. You know for the most part you know where you've wandered off. You know what that ugly part is. You know that it's there. Isaiah simply puts it in terms where we can recognize and see that God God knows too. So we're going to stand and sing. If we can help you in any way, make your way to the front.